1: Studio changed my life because prior to that, I never, ever went out without a, a male escort. I mean, I never went to, I, I'm not a person that hangs out with the girls anyway, but I always had a date. We always went to a club and then I'd say to my date, do you, do you want to go to Studio 54? They'd say, no, I have to go to work tomorrow. So I would go around in the revolving door at my building, get in the car and go right back to Studio 54. We'd say, don't let, don't bother to get out of the cab.
2: What's up guys? Welcome back to the skinny confidential him and her podcast. Today we have a fire guest. Nikki Haskell is on board. So she's an insane, remarkable entrepreneur and a pioneer and a fearless leader. She is so major. She is so fab and she's been a part of everything from the entertainment industry to being a film producer, a talk show host, an artist, an inventor, And an extraordinary party giver.
0: We've been having fun bringing on guests that are telling us a bunch of wild stories. Nikki was there for all of the Studio 54 days, front row, partying, dancing. Wish I was there. I grew up in the wrong era, everybody.
2: You know what's amazing is not only was she around for all the major moments at Studio 54, she now vacations every single summer for a month. With Clive Davis and San
0: Sign me up. Uh, what, what, that's the that's the life. Clive, what is going on? Bring me with you. You know she's got fr- she's got friends in high places. Joan All, Collins. Joan Collins is her bestie. Ivanka Trump. Yes, she used to be friends with Donald Trump. I mean, she's been friends with everybody. Robert Evans. Robert Evans, and so
2: she's the who's who.
0: She's got stories for days. She, she knows... is so
2: cute, you guys. So here's the deal. My dad. This is kind of a funny story, Michael. I don't even know if you know this. My dad, shout out to Brad. Brad, we know you're listening, Uh, introduced me to Nikki because they met on Facebook. Did you know that? My dad and her somehow met on Facebook. They connected. They became friends. And then one day, my dad called me and he said, Lauren, I'm in LA. I'm at the Beverly Hills Hotel, the Polo Lounge, having a McCarthy salad, and we're having margaritas with my friend Nikki. Will you stop by? And I'm like, Daddy, it's a Wednesday at 12, but sure. Twist my arm.
0: Can we talk about why you still call your dad daddy? It's always it's always kind of irked me a little bit. So I I don't know.
2: I've just always called him daddy. I can call you daddy if you want.
0: No, now I don't want to be called daddy because I'm going to think. Listen, you and daddy bouncing on each other's (laughs) knees is a little weird. Brad, what's going on there?
2: (laughs) So anyway, I went to meet my dad and Julie, my stepmom, at the Beverly Hills Hotel, and Nikki was there, and she was so fab. She was dressed to the nines. She had her. uh, I think she actually she drinks. What does she drink, Michael? A vodka soda, right? Yes. She was dressed to the nines. She was enjoying a margarita with my dad and they were just laughing and having fun and telling stories. So after getting to know her, we decided to invite her on the podcast because she's had such a colorful, full life. And if you know anything about me, you know, I am absolutely or I was absolutely obsessed with my grandma. I had such a special relationship with her. She was my best friend. I miss her every single day. So anyone that kind of reminds me of that I lean into and Nikki is is is, reminds me so much of her because she's so positive. She's so funny. She has so many stories and she's interesting.
0: We just love, I mean, if you haven't got the point yet already, and if you're a new listener, maybe don't know yet, we try to bring on as many walks of life with as many different viewpoints as possible. You know, I think there's so many platforms out there that are built to divide people in a very divisive time. And for us, we always want this to be a non-judgmental place that brings people together, gives them a little escapism, inspiration, something to learn, something to aspire to, or if you just want to disconnect and have a laugh for a little bit. So we try to bring on as many different people to have as many different conversations as possible. And this, one is no different. Like always, keep your judgments reserved, hear the new point of view, question your own thoughts and beliefs. That's what this show is all about. That's the audience that we hope we're cultivating. With that, let's dive into this colorful conversation with none other than Nikki Haskell.
2: We're going to take a quick break and talk about athletic greens. First and foremost, I need to share how I use my athletic greens. So what I do is I micromanage and manipulate my husband. He wakes up, he does his meditation, um, he writes in his journal, blah, blah, blah. And then he goes to the gym and then he knows the second he comes home that my eyes are about to open and I want my green smoothie. So he goes to the kitchen, grabs the blender, puts tons of ice in it, a little water. He does a heaping huge scoop. I want a big scoop, Michael, none of that half ass shit. And then some berries, like a handful of berries and tons of spinach and pushes it down in there, maybe a little lemon, and then adds a pitted date. If he forgets the date, he has to redo it. We might have to do a podcast on how to manipulate your significant other.
0: Well, listen, I needed help in the greens department. A lot of us Yikes. need help in the greens department. I'm not the most disciplined <laughs> Did you ever. But with Athletic Greens, when I first learned about it from Tim Ferriss' show, I said, okay, I need greens. I know I need it. It's going to help me with my energy. It's going to support my immune system. It's going to help with my gut health. All of these things. Listen, we all know we need greens. It's just we're not all the best at actually getting them. With Athletic Greens, it's easy and efficient and they have 75 proven vitamins, minerals, and whole food source ingredients to help support your body's nutritional needs.
2: And I have noticed since you've been drinking the daily smoothie that your under eye circles have disappeared. Anyway, Athletic Greens promises clean, green, and bioavailable ingredients. So no harmful chemicals, artificial colors, sweeteners, no added sugars, no GMOs. It's gluten-free. It's dairy-free. It's vegan. It's paleo keto friendly and it's something that you want in your daily smoothie.
0: As Lauren said, it includes all the essential vitamins and minerals, dairy-free probiotics, prebiotics, nutrient-dense, raw superfoods, adaptogens, herbs, extracts, digestive enzymes, and more. That was a mouthful, Lauren. That was pretty impressive that I did that.
2: So if it's time to focus on your health and feel your best, getting into a daily routine with Athletic Greens really will be the single best thing you can do for yourself this year. Why not just try it? Jump over to athleticgreens.com skinny and claim our special offer today. You get 20 free travel packs valued at $79 with your first purchase. That's athleticgreens.com slash skinny. Start your day right and good things will follow.
0: And for all you UK and EU listeners out there, they also ship to you. So feel free to use this offer. Go ahead, athleticgreens.com slash skinny. This is the Skinny Confidential, him and her.
2: Nikki is in the studio. Nikki, introduce yourself to our audience. For anyone who doesn't know you, give us give us the bullet points, the summary.
1: Well, I'm Nikki Haskell. I was uh, brought, uh, born in Chicago, brought up in Beverly Hills, lived between New York and L.A. I was a stockbroker among the first five female stockbrokers in the world. I was on Wall Street for 10 years. And then at the end of that career, I started my own television show with Prince Agan von Furstenberg called The Nikki Haskell Show, which is now on Amazon Prime. I did 300 episodes, shot from all over the world, the Philippines with the Marcoses, Rio de Janeiro. Uh, for Carnival, I danced in the Samba School Parade for 12 years and filmed. They called me the American Karma Miranda. Went to. I was the first person to ever put fashion on television because, see, the 80s, was a very unique time in the United States for fashion. It's when American designers first became popular, like Calvin and Halston and Ralph Lauren and Oscar de la Renta. Prior to that, everybody bought their their couture clothes from Europe. So the 80s was a very important part of the fashion world. And I was the only person, I covered every every fashion show and put one on every one of my shows. So almost every show that I did has a fashion show in it. It was a great time. Then when the show ended, I did the show for six years. Then I created this diet product called Star Caps. I used to have billboards all over Sunset. I had uh, 20 billboards and won three Sunset Strip Billboard Awards. My billboard was the one that sort of looked like the Hollywood sign with me sitting on top of it. And then I started doing different projects and working on, and I wrote a diet book called The Star Diet, which was on the bestseller list for three weeks. And I wrote... What else have I done? Oh, I'm, I also paint, and I'm a sculptress, and my artwork is on my brother's company. It's called uh, Graphic Encounter. And that's it guys <laughs> have anything else, me, anything else for me to do that, what, what?
0: There's, a, there's a lot of directions we could take this and I interview like to go
1: dancing so that's it you can put it all together all
0: right we can all go dancing I'm i go in.
1: dancing on saturday nights all the we're, time you have to come with
0: we're, me. we're new to la where where should we go dancing up here i have
1: to take you to this secret place it's called georgio's it's in the standard hotel okay <laughs> well, that sounds cool and you have to like go through the kitchen it's it's very rat pack you know it's like I, like, you know,
0: I bet you could option. tell us all the hip, cool things to do around here because we, you know, we're we're new. We're still finding out the secrets of Hollywood, the secrets of LA. How,
1: what, what secrets have you found out so far?
2: Well, we we, my dad and I ran into do at Craig's. It seems like you have your you had your table there <laughs> in the, yeah. like in in the the chicest um, corner
1: at Craig's. I ate at three restaurants: Craig's, Craig's, and Craig's. <laughs> <laughs> Did you used to eat at Chasen's back in the day? I did. I used to. Every <sighs> Sunday night was like the A Spot. Everybody went there. It was very chic. Everybody got dressed, and it was all movie stars. And
2: what happened to Chasen's?
1: We need to bring Chasen's back. What happened to the Hollywood? <laughs> yeah, true, true. You know, people just aren't aren't there anymore. And it got to the point where the family that owned Chasen's sold it, and people were like hysterical. But most of the landmark places in Los Angeles are gone. I did a documentary called The Sunset Strip. I was so Pleased that uh, the person that did all the archives on it found footage of everything, every single famous club and nightclub and restaurant that was on Sunset. They captured everything. There used to be so many fun things to do. It's not so much fun anymore.
2: How has Hollywood changed? Can you t- like, well, give us give us specific examples? You you obviously you know are a hustler in Hollywood. You're very connected. You have
1: tons of f- famous friends. How is it? Ch- how have you seen it change with social media? Have I seen it change with social media? I don't think that's really the question. I mean, social. But have you just seen it
0: change over the years? Well,
1: it's changed over the years because, needless to say, you know all the great places like Spago's when it was open on Sunset and Chasins, and all the they used to be where where Hugo Boss is up on the Sunset Strip. Now used to be a restaurant called La Rue's, and we used to go black tie for you know on Saturday nights for dinner. Now they wear flip flops and T-shirts, so the, the whole the whole clothing has changed sort of the nightlife nobody gets dressed anymore everybody looks like a slob i don't
0: like that <laughs> i don't like people looking like slobs i, I kind too. of look like a slob today because we're in the studio no, so I, I apologize like slob,
1: but, but you know
0: i i don't like that either my dad told me vegas got ruined as soon as people stopped dressing up it just became yeah, a slob fest no, it
1: just became you know like leisure suits took over when when it, it, it just changed but i mean i get dressed all the time i mean i'm not a person that that wears flip-flops and t-shirts I am, um, in fact, I'm overdressed when I'm naked. I'm always overdressed. (laughs) You know, so I have several of my friends and we sort of keep the standard up. We always get dressed when we go out for dinner and look like an adult.
0: That's why I love New York and London still so much, because you go over there and people still, not everybody, but there's still some effort put in in those cities.
1: New York is getting worse, too. It's not not as glamorous as it used to be. Don't forget, I live in New York, too. I moved to New York in 1965, and when I it was like a fluke that I became a stockbroker. But when I was on Wall Street, I was there weren't any women there. I mean, I went to restaurants that said men only. I thought, well, this doesn't mean me, and I went right in, of course, and sat at the best tables. But there wasn't anything down there. There was no stores. There was nothing. But everybody got dressed to go to work every day. There was no leisure day, you know, or friendly Friday or whatever it is that they call it, you know. (laughs) Well, you don't have to dress up. You know, you can smoke a joint and put on a pair of flip flops and say I'm at the office. (laughs) So I think social media, in a way, social media has added to a lot of things. Like for instance, I'm on Instagram as Big Nick BH, and I'm on uh, Facebook as at Nikki Haskell. I don't use Twitter anymore. It's too mean. I, I don't really like that. I mean, I.
0: Yeah, you can go down the Twitter wormhole. It gets a little, it can get nasty. I,
1: I mean, I'm I I'm from you know. Listen, I'm a people person. So my entire life, I've given parties and entertained people throughout my life. When I lived at the Sierra Towers, the building that I just pointed out to, yes, Elton John did live there, and Joan Collins and George Hamilton, and Cher. In fact, Elton Cher and I all moved out the same day. It just happened that our you know we moved out. What at are point. those personalities like? Well, I love Elton, and I love Cher. I mean, you can't get any more glamorous than that. Unfortunately, it didn't sing in the elevator or the lobby. <laughs> so, And I used to, and I, I've been friendly with Elton. I was at Elton's very first uh, uh, Elton John Academy Award party, which I think was like 27 years ago. And Cher I've known forever. I mean, I think Cher is one of the great super talents. I just adore her. And Elton's incredible. I mean, he's really kept the the awareness of the age catastrophe uh, in, in in plain sight because everybody thinks oh, AIDS is over, but it isn't. The epidemic is worse now than ever. They've just found medications that can prolong it. but it does have a death sentence to it. And Elton has ne- has never wavered. He does I think he does two or three events every month. I mean you could if you have nothing but money to spend, you could spend you know your entire life going to Elton John events. Huh. Wait. So, when you're living in
2: in a tower with these people, do you see them dressed down all the time, or is it not like that?
1: Well, you know, you don't really see them that much unless you're cruising the elevators. You know? Yeah, I mean, unless you're camped out. Yeah. You know, who did I? You know, who I? I, I, I my, one of my last. I got into the elevator, and, and Zach Ephraim was in the elevator. Right. I don't know where he was going. I like totally cornered him. You know, <laughs> he was lucky he got out of the elevator. One. <laughs> I think it was. Hi. Nice to see you. You know. But I, 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 I there was lots of stars in that building, a lot of people.
2: I heard a rumor
1: that you also got to go to Studio 54, which makes me very jealous. So not only did I get to go to Studio 54, I first of all, I went opening night with Donald and Ivana Trump. I took them to Studio 54. And, you know, Donald Donald is one of my closest friends. And when he married Ivana, she became one of my closest friends. And they had just come back from their honeymoon, and I had received this opening night invitation for Studio Fifty Four. It was in a plastic little plastic box with black confetti in it. And we went out for dinner. Donald never went to clubs. We I, we did. He doesn't we, drink, right? No, he doesn't drink because his brother died of alcoholism. Yep. Nope. But we belonged to this one club called La Club, which was a very private, chic Upper East Side townhouse with a dance floor and of course everybody wore suits and t- I mean if you ever went in there in a pair of blue jeans they would they'd think that you were like in a murder massacre or something or something They throw you right out they would yep. you know and I met Donald I didn't meet him at studio but I met him during this st- I mean during the uh, Le club time so I convinced everybody to go to studio 54 and of course we got there very early you know clubs don't even start till 12 o'clock at night so we got there it was about 10 30 11 there wasn't anybody out in front, no doorman, no nothing. So Donald got out of the car and he started knocking on the door. Nothing happened. Knocked again. Nothing happened. About 10 minutes knocking on the door, finally this man, this construction worker, opened the door. And he was still painting Studio 54 when we walked in. And the studio had a long, cavernous entranceway. It was a theater. Mm and. There was no music playing. I was actually there the minute they played the first song. And we walked in. There was only maybe 100 people inside. Margo Hemingway was in there and Brooke Shields. And it was nice. It was like, so what is this all about? Where is everybody? And when we came time for us to leave, and we went to push open the door with thousands of people all the way around the block, and nobody could get in, because everybody was pushed up against the door, and they couldn't open the doors. And Sinatra couldn't get in, and this one couldn't get in, and the next page, next day on the front page of the paper... The fact that they couldn't get in made it a popular place. And then the next night, within that week, Halston gave a party for Bianca Jagger, and they brought her in on a white horse. I read about this in Janice Dickinson's autobiography. Janice Dickinson, by the way, was a friend of mine. At the time, she was going with Rick James, who was a really close friend of mine. And the two of them were dating, and they were standing in the middle of the dance floor of Studio 54, screaming at each other. And I'm like, you know, standing there with my arms full because I wanted to get out of there. So I reached into her purse and I pulled out her keys and I gave them to Rick James and I said, goodbye. And I left, you know, but studio was great. I mean, people used to say to me, where do you live? And I said, well, I, I live at Studio 54, but I keep an apartment on 68th Street. And I went there um, and see studio totally changed my life. You were life. a fixture. I was a fixture. Studio changed my life because prior to that, I never ever went out without a, a male escort. I mean, I never went to... I. I'm not a person that hangs out with the girls anyway, but I always had a date. We always went to a club and then I'd say to my date, do you, do you want to go to studio 54? And they'd say, no, I have to go to work tomorrow. So I would go around in the revolving door at my building, get in the car and go right back to studio 54. See you pal. We say, don't let, don't bother to get out of the cab. (laughs) (laughs) I even had t-shirts made that said, don't bother to get out of the cab. (laughs) And I would go back there, but I never overdid it. First of all, I never did any drugs anyway. And I don't like being in the basement. I just like to dance and have a good time. But I, I left there probably 2, 2.30 most nights. And I most, almost always left by myself.
2: How d- were you staying up until 2.30 in the morning and creating this massive empire
1: simultaneously at the same time? Well, I really don't need a lot of sleep. I mean, I can't... a lot. Of, see, th- what happened with those people is they stayed up all night. But after they went to studio, they had a thing that I created called the Dawn Patrol, where they would all meet, and then they would go to all these clubs downtown. I had no interest in that. I was Studio was it. Maybe I'd go to once in a while, I'd go to another club. But, I mean, I would sleep, and then I... At, when studio first opened, I was still a stockbroker. And... Um, I mean, I never have a problem. I, I take a disco. I invented the term disco nap. I take a disco nap every day. What's, What's a, a disco, disco nap? Yeah. A disco nap is something I should be doing right about now. Oh. <laughs> it's when I lay down in my bed and I go to sleep for two hours and get up and get dressed and go out.
0: Well, listen. I mean, here. Is there
1: any other way? No. no,
0: I don't think there's another way. We've done a lot of these interviews close to 200. There is so many directions that we can take this in just on the, on the few places you've already taken us. I'd be remiss not to. So you became friends with Donald Trump during a time when he was just a businessman living in New York. How has that relationship changed or been impacted with obviously him now being the president of the United States? Well, or how has it impacted your life and also your relationship?
1: Well, you know it's interesting because first of all, I was a Democrat and I was very close to the Clintons and I went to the Clinton inauguration. I went to the White House twenty times under when the Clintons were in office, and I always knew that Donald wanted to be president. I mean, I used to speak to Donald every day. Ambitious said, guy. Yes, and so I was. I thought, what a great idea, and never once thinking that he would actually become president. But of course, it was. You know, it worked great for me because I'm the first person that ever interviewed Donald. So I have all the footage on Donald. <laughs> I, I worked I work with Donald on the Trump Tower. So I have the groundbreaking, the topping off. I have all the interviews in the offices with Donald when he was living at 805th, when Ivana was working on the— the Trump Tower. I mean, I went with Ivana to Italy where she bought an entire mountain of pink marble and made the entranceway for the Trump Tower. She had a, a floor plan of every piece of marble, you know, it's seven stories high. Mm-hmm. And we rolled it out and she matched every piece of tile to every number on every on the whole thing. And, wow. you know, it, it was a massive undertaking, the Trump Tower. And it was, a at the time, it was, you know, nobody had ever built a building like this before. So I loved it, and I loved working with Donald. He was always very supportive of me, always has been, and very supportive of my show. And I've done twenty-seven documentaries on him. There's one one. There's one running now on um, Netflix. It's a four-part documentary where they licensed all my footage, and then there's one that's running now on A&E. It's a six-part documentary. It's two three-hour documentaries. And it looks like the Nikki Haskell documentary. There's so much footage because I have footage of myself with a hard hat and a mink coat standing on top of the Trump Tower saying, you know, live from the Trump Tower, it's the Nikki Haskell show.
2: You have to post this on your Instagram account so the audience can go follow you because your Instagram's so
1: cute. Oh, thank you. you well, glad. you have to
2: post some of these pictures. Like, I need to see you in a hard hat in a
1: fur coat at the Trump <laughs> Tower. No, you have to. You have to go to the so, Amazon Prime and look at the Nicki Haskell. Are you still uh-huh.
0: able to communicate with him now that yes, he's? I do. You do. In
1: fact, I'm, right now I'm in the, in the middle. I'm trying to get, it's my fault because I'm to getting it organized to go down to interview Donald for a special for uh, Amazon Prime.
0: Is he, when you, is he ever like, holy hell, I can't believe this.
1: I'm sure of every morning when he gets up. Yeah. <laughs> I would think so.
0: Because, I mean, I think you, like me, like myself, like most people, when he announced it, we, we knew their ambition was there, but not a lot of people expected this to actually happen.
1: Well, see, we were... You need the truth of the matter is Donald is a brilliant negotiator and a fabulous businessman, and no one has ever run this country like a business. They kept giving away this and giving away that, and spending money on this, and nobody really realized. Most politicians never had a job; they've never had a nine-to-five job. If you don't yep, never have a job that. and you've never built a building or had a employees, uh, people working for you, and it, it's pretty hard to run a country. They don't know what they're doing. What were they, a, a junior senator or something? I mean, I loved it when I saw the Kennedy, the Kennedy years, they did this, you know, huge, uh, they, just, they just aired that, right? It was, it was on the reels and they said, uh, Jack Kennedy was down South, you know, trying to get votes. And they said, if anybody asks you, don't tell them that you never, ever had a job before. So, you know, just tell them that you, you know, were an investment banker or something because none of these people ever had jobs. You know, to become the president of the United States, there should be some kind of qualifications, except for being, you know, all you have to be is an American citizen.
2: So after you did your stockbroking for five years, how did you— Ten years. Ten years, excuse me. How did you get into
1: your whole star empire? Can you kind of walk us through that? Okay, so when the show went off the air, I created this product called Star Caps. Before it was Star Caps, it was called Tone Caps. And I decided, because I was putting these gold stars on the bottle, I changed it to Star. So everybody loved the name Star. Star in any language is Star. Oh. Uh, The world Star is known throughout the world as Star, right? And um, then I started this candy company. It was the Hollywood Star Candy Company. And I had Star Suckers and Nikki Bars and Star Rolls and everything. So I had a whole line of candy. And then I had, you know, they had the Star Caps. And then I had the Star Diet. And then I invented the Star Cruncher, which is now on Amazon Prime, which is a piece of exercise equipment, which is fabulous. Joan Collins, Buzz Aldrin, everybody uses the Star Cruncher. And so it stars. And then my new invention, the Star Shooter. So all of my products, my brand identification is Star.
2: So smart, and the star shooter is is a as cam, a camera. No, not a camera. It's, it's a case. case that goes on your phone right. and turns Lights into up, a selfie stands stick. Stands up
1: and turns into a selfie stick.
2: It's amazing, you guys. We'll put it in the show notes. It's so yeah. cute. Yeah, it's
1: very cute. It's not out yet. It'll probably be out in about six months. Hopefully, will be will be out for Christmas this year. But then I said that five years ago. So. It's adorable. It's so so cute. It's so hard to get anything done.
2: It's, it, it's hard to get stuff done. So how are you such a hustler? Is this just something that's an eight?
1: You know, you have two choices. You either do it or you don't do it. You know, you can sit around and wait for something to happen, which never does. Or you get out and you do it. I mean, I, you know, when I started the television show, I had no idea what I was doing. And neither did anyone else because there was never any show like my show. And it it seemed like a good concept to me. And I, I mean, we did it on a shoot string, but I had Pan Am as my sponsor and they used to give me free tickets for all over the world. I would go to Rio and take all these people with me and go to the Philippines and go to Paris and go whatever. They used to give me stacks of what they called S1 passes, and you could just walk on the plane. Just say, hey, guys, you want to go to Paris for lunch? You could just walk right on the plane and and go. And, And they even gave me miles on top of the free tickets. Out of
2: all
0: That's a good deal. The, yeah,
1: that is a good deal.
2: Out of all the famous people that you've met, because I feel like you've met so many different colorful people, what is something that you see that a lot of them have in common when it comes to the great successes that they're having?
1: It's interesting. Success has many faces and it depends basically on the the demeanor and the the confidence of the person. You have to really the older that I get, the more I realize how self-contained you have to be. Because if you put it out there a lot, everybody's going to tell you you're doing it wrong. And you're not, not supposed to do it. I'm supposed to do it this way. You're supposed to do it that way. I don't listen to anyone. People know that. <laughs> I just do what I want to do. And somehow it always has worked out.
2: You sound like me. <laughs>
1: just do what you, know? you want to do. Yeah, I mean... I, I never forget. I said to somebody, if, you know, if they had told me to take the show off the air. I would have. They said they told you a hundred times, but you just never paid the attention. <laughs> so she never listened. No, I never listened. I'm not a great listener. So you see, all
2: these successful people putting on their blinders and not listening to what outside forces say.
1: Not necessarily so. I mean, I everybody's everybody's mojo is different. You know, a lot of people um, have been fortunate enough that there's a lot of nepotism. So they have rich parents or people that family that's in show business or they go into their father's business or they do what they do. But, you know, being brought up, uh, you know, in Los Angeles, I was brought up by my mother and my brother and myself, we were very small, just the three of us. And, you know, I, I came from Chicago and I moved to Beverly Hills and I loved every minute of it. I was very fortunate. I was popular and I was a terrible student. I was never a good student, but I had a lot of friends and I made a lot of friends people that I'm still friendly with today never once did I ever you know my mother only wanted me to grow up and get married you know she wanted me actually to be born married you know <laughs> I mean I what didn't make any difference what I ever did or wherever I went she would always say did you meet anybody nice so my mother actually used to stop Jay Leno she used to see him in the in the grocery store and say would you please fix my daughter up with someone I said to my mother I'm horrified you went to Jay Leno And you ask Jay Leno to fix me up. Every time I see him to this day, he says to me, tell your mother I'm still looking for a guy for you. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty funny. Before
2: we get into that, I want to tell you about Grove Collaborative. All right, so I've talked about this on my Instagram, on my stories, on the Skinny Confidential blog. You gotta try Grove Collaborative. Basically, it's an online marketplace that delivers all natural home beauty and personal care products to your door. Now, you know I love services that deliver stuff straight to your door. Every product that Grove sells is guaranteed to be healthy, effective, eco friendly, and affordable. So you can shop with confidence and you just know the products that you're getting are gonna be legit. Fun fact for you guys, 70% of people say they want to use all natural products, but only 2% do. And the reason for this is that what they sell at the stores from the biggest companies aren't necessarily the ones that are best for you. And they're not always all natural. I feel like sometimes they might lie. So where do you start? This is how you start. And you do it in a way that's going to save you time. Grove Collaborative makes it super easy for you to make the switch to all natural products. So what I did is I wanted to switch out all my laundry products to all natural products. So... I just went on Grove. I picked out all the things that I wanted, my laundry detergents, my little laundry packets, and had everything delivered to the door and just restocked my entire laundry situation, which I'm very proud of now. I'm just a fan of companies that take the guesswork out of going green. It's everything in front of you. You can just see it in one place, make your order, and move on with your life. And you feel good about yourself because you're helping the planet and you can save time on reading confusing labels, which is highly annoying. With Grove, you don't have to shop multiple stores. You don't have to park your car. You don't have to go in the grocery store. You don't have to do all that annoying stuff that no one wants to do. You just do it online. It shows up to your door and you can switch all your products out with all natural eco-friendly products. So join half a million families who trust Grove Collaborative to make their home. Happier and healthier. You should also know that the shipping is fast and free on your first order. For a limited time, when Skinny Confidential, him and her listeners go to grove.co, that's grove.co, slash skinny and place an order of $20 or more. You will get a free five piece cleaning set from Mrs. Myers and Grove, a $30 value, guys. That's grove.co, grove.co, slash skinny today.
1: I think we live in a society now where confidence is really at a low unfortunately you would think that through social media and everything that's afforded to the world today it would make things better but for some reason it's made things worse
0: I think it's because people are looking at what other people have and what they don't have
1: I don't think is I think this bullying thing I think this way kids treat each other I mean there's so much hostility amongst kids I never felt that as a child you, you know? can't I'll,
0: escape it now because before when we were kids you, you know, we grew up in a time when we, we're right on the cut where we grew up for the first you know I'd say, 20 years of our life without having this. And so, you know, you go to school and you come home and nobody could get to you when you go home. But now you go to school, you get bullied and you go home and people can follow you home through your phone.
1: I know it's just, it's, I'll tell you a very funny story. When I was a kid growing up, I must've been about four or five years old and I was, wa- I walked to school, but maybe I was like five years old. I walked from where we lived in Chicago to school and it was snowing one day. And this girl beat me up and she stuck my face in the snow Right. And I came into the building that we lived in and there was a man downstairs and he said, what happened to you? And I told him, you know, that this girl beat me up and he said, well, I'll walk. I'll meet you every day and I'll walk you to school. So he walked me to school every day and picked me up after school and walked me home. And one day I'm watching television and it said that his name was Mr. Fisher. He was one of the Fischetti brothers. So I had mob protection even as a child (laughs) from the time I was a kid. (laughs) Don't mess with me. But you asked me. I think probably the one thing, if I had to put my finger on one thing that has changed, made me sort of who I am today, is the fact that I was a horseback rider. So from the time I was a little girl, I was showing horses, riding big 2,000-pound crazy horses and, and competing. And I was competing against men and women my entire life. And I just gained a tremendous amount of confidence. Ring-wise, you know, you know where to be at the right time. Plus, I was born at a time where everything was happening. Rock and roll came in, you know. I mean, the songs that the kids listen to today, the old songs, those are the songs that I grew up with. So between music and the 80s, between the art world, which was, I mean, you asked me, probably the most person that I loved the most to meet was Andy Warhol because I was an art major. I was always sort of under the school of Andy Warhol even as a kid. So when I met Andy Warhol, see, Andy Warhol in those days was more of a socialite artist, and if he went to a party, you knew you were in the right place. And I was just totally enthralled with Andy, and there were all these great artists during that period of time. You know, you know, uh, and they were there, and they were friends of mine. And even to this day, it's that was the that was the shining hour in the art world, it was the contemporary art. What's Andy Warhol like? Andy Warhol was very unique. He he carried a camera with him wherever he went, and he took pictures wherever he did, and he did a diary. So I'm in his diaries. Okay, he sounds like an influencer. He is. A, 2000, a 2019 Absolutely. Influencer. I mean, he, he wore blue jeans and a, a white shirt and sort of a down jacket and had that terrible fright wig that they, he wore. He was extremely colorful. He wasn't flamboyant at all, but he his his artwork, I was always totally impressed by him. And Keith Haring and all the artists and Basquiat and everything. It was all during that period of time. Now there's no one. I mean, there's Damien Hirst and a couple people, but it's not like it was then. The 80s was such a, a vibrant time for uh, not only the society that we live in, but for music and film Nowadays, they're only doing is making, you know, even Broadway. There's no new musicals. They're all old revivals. So everything is at a standstill. Nothing is moved. You'd think that with, through the social media, everything would be new and fresh and terrific. And it isn't. It's all the old stuff redone all over again. And now they finally brought back the 80s. Because, you know, every 20 years, they bring back. But the 60s and 70s hung on forever. And now the 80s are back, which is great. You know, they just did the Studio 54 documentary. Yep. Which I'm in, and I did the Alan Carr documentary. He was the one that did Greece. And these were all my friends, and now they're. I remember when I when my book came out. My publicist at the time it was English, Jeffrey Lane. We loved Jeffrey. He would say me, "Darling, isn't this any way we can get rid of this Studio 54 image of you?" And now it's so popular, you know. Then there was like, "Oh, Studio 54. Let's not talk about it," you know, because it was. It, you know, I, I never. There's a very famous picture of me in about 25 different books, of me standing on the dance floor with a caption that I never saw anybody doing drugs at Studio 54, and underneath my right arm, there's two guys with Coke spoons in their nose. (laughs) So I was like oblivious to everything. I was out there dancing and going to the record booth and talking to this one, and I gave this fabulous... I used to give parties at Studio 54, and I gave a party one time for Ewell Brenner, who is best friends with Michael Jackson, and it was when they first started videos. And Michael came to this party. I had the whole thing done like the set from The King and I, and we launched Thriller on the bridge of Studio Fifty Four, which was great. I mean, it was one of the coolest things ever.
2: Out of all the celebrities
1: you met, who is the coolest? You know, they're all pretty cool. I have to admit. I mean, I'm I'm a person that everybody always asks me. See, I really I was very enthralled with Madame Marcos. You know, she was the Madame President Madame Marcos from the Philippines. I went to the Philippines to cover the film festival. Rogers and Cowan used to cover all these dictators. And every time there was a dictator and had an event, they would send me like Reverend Moon. You know, I would, I mean, I went to the, the Cannes Film Festival. He did in China, So when I went to the Philippines, the first day I was there, I was there all by myself. So I commandeered the television crew for Good Morning Manila. They spoke English. So I said, I'll tell you what, I'll do the interviews. You can use my interviews And then you'll give me the footage. So that night I went to that that day I interviewed Jeremy Irons. Nobody ever heard of Jeremy Irons. He had just done the French lieutenant's woman.
0: He's one of the best actors of all time. Yeah,
1: Brideshead Revisited. So uh, I saw him on television in the morning. I thought, "Hmm, I think I'd like to interview him. So somehow, because I was the only one that was doing these interviews. So that I did the only one there. I was, I was the only one yep. there, and I, it, it was amazing. And I, and I went without a camera crew, and I commandeered the camera crew right away. <laughs> and that night I went to the American Embassy, and Madame Marcos came in. She came in with George Hamilton, who was a, an, an old friend of mine for many years. She was madly in love with George Hamilton. And they all came in and walked around and everything, and Madame Marcos walked up to me, and she said, Are you Nikki Haskell? And I said, Yes. She said, You come with me. And after that I was always with her. And I would take my little cassettes. You know, in the old days we have to have these three-quarter inch cassettes. And I had a little satin bag, right? And I go up to her cameraman, I put it in, I do my interviews, take it out, put my little bag. The next morning I'd go downstairs to the to the press office and take out all of her footage, the party footage, because she gave glamorous parties and everything. So that and, and then and I was dying to interview her. And everybody said, Up, oh, if you want to interview her, you gotta figure it out yourself, because she's not giving interviews. To anyone, I thought, I am not leaving here without an interview. And she used to have what they called her blue ladies. They were like her girlfriends. She had to go through all the blue ladies and through all the secretaries and everything. And finally, of course, she knew by now that I wanted to interview her. She said, I know you want to interview me. She said, the car will pick me up and bring you to Malakanyai, which was the palace. I remember Jerry, Jeremy Irons said to me, well, it's been nice knowing you, we I'll probably never see you again, you know? you know? You better be careful what you ask her. And since I was never, ever programmed or ever scripted, I knew there were three things I wanted to ask her. During that period of time, they said that she had had her son-in-law kidnapped, so I wanted to ask her if she had her son-in-law kidnapped, and if she liked the fact that people said that she was like Eva Peron. And they used to call her the Iron Butterfly, because she used to wear these dresses with butterfly sleeves. Hmm. So I went through the whole interview, you know, what do you like? What's your favorite color? Where'd you go to school? You know, how'd you meet the president? What do you think about this? And then I asked and Then her, you
0: hit it with the hard ones. Right. Let me ask was, you this. It not have been better. <laughs> what do you, so you've done this, you've done so many interviews. What, what do you think makes a good interviewer in order to have effective interviews?
1: I found out since I was never scripted, you have to listen to what people say. Mm -hmm. If you go in there with a bunch of questions, you're you're asking questions, but you're not listening to the answers. So they could be telling you some really interesting story. You know, things have a tendency to sort of drift out. And then she's in the middle of saying, you know, I just murdered my husband. You say, and where did you go to school? You know, so if you don't listen, I mean, Barbara Walters sat there with these blue cards in front of her all the time and just asked a bunch of questions. I have conversations with people.
2: I think I those are the most lot, interesting. I,
1: I interviewed a lot of people. I didn't even know who they were. That was that's a that they say, oh, here's so and so. He just made this movie. and You have to figure out what movie, how they got there. What's the movie about? So you have to pay attention.
0: I like what you said about going in with a goal of trying to get to some certain topics and subjects is, you know, we running this network, we consult a lot of the time with people that are interviewing on the other side of the table. And I say, when you get so scripted like that, you're exactly right. And someone gets off your script, then you then you're lost. You don't know what
1: to do.
2: Nikki, have you ever thought about doing a podcast? Because you'd be pretty damn good at it. Can I do your podcast
1: with you guys? I'll come over. I don't think I'd want to do one alone. I think it's you, you know, can come over I'll and do you. our podcast anytime. Who should else. we
0: interview? Who should us? We should pick somebody and we should bring them in. And us three should. And interview We should
1: do them. a roundtable. So we
2: bring you bring in whoever you think, and it's all three of us interviewing. Them. Maybe because I
0: can, can we ask take you our this.
1: Podcast on the road. We, we, yeah. yeah, let's
0: do a road trip. Road Let road me ask trip. you this. Yeah. One of my favorite uh, biographies, we were talking about it offline earlier, was is Robert Evans, The Kid Stays oh, in the Picture. My best friend. I best friend. Him. What first of all, that would be a great interview. I just three. did one with him. Second, what were the circumstances behind that meeting? How did you how did you get connected with Robert Evans? For those that don't know Robert Evans, he Robert
1: Evans was the, he produced The Godfather in Chinatown and Rosemary's Baby. And um he ran Paramount. So I I was I was very friendly with his brother when I lived in New York, and I got a call from a friend of mine, and he said, Bob Evans wants to meet Margo Hemingway. You know, my, you know, Ernest Hemingway said the, that's where the whole The Kid Stays in the Picture came from because he was on the set. He did this movie called The, the Sun Also Rises, yep. and everybody on the movie tried to throw him off the movie. They didn't want him on the movie. And so Ernest, and they were also anti-Semitic, and they didn't really see – Pedro Gonzalez being played by Robert Evans, right? <laughs> so they didn't like him at all. And he they called me and they said, Can you introduce Bob Evans to Margot Hemingway? I said, No problem, because she was my best friend. I was the one that put her in Betty Ford. I was one I really took care of her during the 80s a lot. So she met Bob and they they fell in love. They were having portraits painted and whatever it was. And I get a call one day. And they said, this is Mr. Evans' office, and Mr. Evans would like for you to come to California. He's going to screen. The sun also rises and have a dinner in his screening room. So I went out to California, and he actually did this whole thing so he could get up and hold Margo in his arms and say, your grandfather would roll over in his grave if he knew that I was here with you. (laughs) So that was that. And then I went back to New York. And that, that summer I went to Saint Tropez and I stayed with some friends of mine and there was Bob and Margot, and Bob and I bonded that year. And we've been best friends ever since. I'm there. I see him almost every day of my life. Wow.
0: He has had a colorful life himself.
1: He's had a very colorful life and he's brilliant. He is so smart. And so he sees things in such a clear light. You know, he's in his well into his eighties and I find it fascinating being with him every day. I learn something every day. I've been working with him on a couple of projects. A couple of them last year, we spent tons of time trying to get it to come to fruition, and it never happened, which, of course, was very disappointing for me. But he is so, you know, they did a play. You know, the kid stays in the picture, the book... The audio version is the best thing you've ever heard. The best You're audio. I have to listen ad- to it. Oh, I'm going to listen to it. I'll get it for you. And then they did the doc. They did the first like really meaningful documentary. You know, the kid stays in the picture and they did it in such a unique way. Bob is not in it at all. Hmm. You know, it's only his voice and most documentaries are other people talking about you. That's the way the documentary yeah. genre works. But this isn't that at all. It's Bob telling his story through pictures and videos.
0: Oh, that's interesting. And
1: clips of movies and things, and it was it's so it's so engrossing. It's fabulous. And now they're doing a play called The Kid, which opened in London was a huge hit, and hopefully they're bringing it to Broadway. So he's still you know still doing different things, but The Kid stays in the picture was just one of the great venues of all times. They're doing a TV series wrapped around it.
2: Tell him that the Skinny Confidential, him and her, and you want to do a roundtable podcast so we can learn all about his life.
0: We'll come to him. We can go on the road with it.
1: (laughs) With you. The the, the closest we'll get is me giving you my interview that I just did with him. I did a two and a half hour interview with him at the house. But the problem was we did it outside. And, you know, you never really think there's a lot of... Airplanes flying in Beverly Hills, but it must have been like an air show at the <laughs> Beverly Hills Hotel or something. Because everybody's
2: like... You can you come use the studio whenever you want. Come in here. I want
1: to be with you guys. You I don't want to do it by myself. Yeah,
2: you can come on anytime you want. Well, okay. I'm sorry you said that. I ha- No.
0: <laughs> I, know, I have could a, sit and listen to your stories I know, all day.
2: I, I have a question. How fab is Joan
1: Collins? Cause oh, I love her. She's one of my best friends. That's who I saw you at Craigs with, and I feel like she is iconic. She is. So when I was 19 years old, they that's when the twist first came in. And there was a club in Hollywood called Marouches. And I entered this twist contest. And Joan and um Bob Hope judged the twist contest, and I won. Wow. Right? And I and, and they wrote about it in the paper and everything. And years later, Joan said to me, darling, so what is it? I met you when? In the 80s? I said, no, Joan. In the 70s? I said, no. In the in the '60s, I said when you first came to Hollywood, that's when you met me. And I pulled out this clipping, this full page article, and that otherwise I would never have known how I met her. And we've Joan lived in the Sierra Towers too, and she moved out. Now she lives right across the street from me on Wilshire. I see her all the time, and I mean we're really close friends. We try to be in the same place at the same time. In the summer, I go with I go to San Tropez with Clive Davis. Are
0: you going to go this summer? Hopefully, we're going to be there. Oh, when? Uh, and probably in July, July.
1: You if you're going? there when we're there, I'm going to hang out with you. Where, where are you? When you, where are you going?
0: Probably go be in Antibes for a little bit Five. and then maybe Ram at 12, maybe club 55, maybe. But, um, yeah, we go like once a year in the summer. Have fun there. Love it. Don't
1: you love it? That's Our the best. Favorite place. I don't know if
0: there's a better place. I don't think so. Everybody tries to do, you know, they try to go to Greece or they try to go to Italy and they try to switch. Uh-huh. It's just, no, it, you, it's the best.
1: You know, I mean, you can't, I mean, I've been going to San since Well, I've been going to Europe since the 70s. Mm-hmm. And when I first started going to Saint Tropez, I went with Jacques Morali. Do you know who he is? Why does that sound so he familiar? He wrote Macho Man and YMCA. Okay. It created the village people. Okay. So the first time I went to, to Saint Tropez to stay, usually we would like drive down from Monte Carlo whatever it is. And you'd go there for the day. And it, going for the day, you just don't get it. You know, it looks like a tourist trap. And I stayed there first summer. There and then I made a lot of friends of mine that lived there, and subsequently I've been going back every year. I mean, I've missed a few years, and I must say that what I like the best, we stay in a house in Santa Fe that is like the killer house. It's right in the port. You know where Chanel is? Yep. Right next to Chanel, there's a long driveway. So you
0: stay in the town?
1: It's right in the town. Cool. It's a seven acre house.
0: Yeah. Wow. A piece of
1: property. to divine. Wow. So we stay there. We've stayed all over the place. The problem is when you stay up, you know, when you stay up in the park, you stay up in the places. You always want to be in the port and you always have to find somebody to take you to the port and then you can't park in the port. So it's, yeah, it's a real pain in, in the
0: ass. It's that it's little, little parking. The worst. Po- yeah, it's the worst. I
1: mean, I like it at night because I actually leave the house. I go to the Biblos. I go to the club. <laughs> I go to by myself.
0: You go to Cab Duois?
1: I go to the Cab think Everybody knows me there. They let me ride in. They take me right into the VIP area. I'm Give going me, with you. Everybody else wants yeah, to Yeah,
0: let's do it. And,
1: and I walk from the house. How cool is that? That's can, cool. Because it, I can never get anybody to go with me anymore. In the old days, everybody wanted to go, and now nobody wants to go. Cab
0: out. gets pretty packed now, though. It's tough. It's, it's 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 pretty it's, it's pretty get, busy in there.
1: It's well, that's what makes a club. You don't want to go to an empty club. That's true too. The cab is great. I is had great. some of the best times there. And then for many years, I went with Ivana on the boat. We would go to San Tropez and Sard I'm not crazy about Sardinia. What's yeah. your favorite place in the world? Saint Tropez. Me too. Love Saint Tropez. Me too. I mean, it's just it looks better. It has a, a smell when you drive around the the aroma from the flowers and from the air and from the ocean and everything. It's just. Just, it's just like it's captivating. Totally, and they've done an amazing job of sort of keeping it pristine without putting high rises and everything. But you know, they took all the beaches away. Yeah,
0: they took them out. This is the first year they knocked all this. How did they put all new beach clubs up? No, all new stuff. Didn't. No,
1: no, no. Isn't... I just spoke to Joan. She just came back. I spoke to Joan Collins, and she was like, not a happy camper. They sk- kept sank on sank. Yeah. But they took away all the all the, all the clubs that are on the beach. N- Nikki Beach, they saved.
0: Nikki Beach, yeah, because it's a, it's 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 back far enough.
1: Anything that's not on the beach, but yeah. They, they took out almost all the beaches. There, the problem was... It,
0: I'm going to send you this article about stuff that they're putting in place. Like there was a couple properties that got some leases to be able to go on, but yeah, they moved Bagatelle. They removed a lot
1: of... But like, you see what they did, which was very smart. Everybody that comes to San goes to the beach, but the beach isn't owned by San It's owned by Ramatual. Yep. So all the hotels got sort of shortchanged. They would, people would be going to lunch and spending $15,000 and $20,000 and everything. And the hotels would just nothing happened so this year they allocated beaches to all the hotels yeah
0: biblos has one that's biblos right now you're reminding me yeah that's correct uh,
1: chateau massadier has one and that other fabulous you know when you're driving out of town it's on the right hand side on the ocean side it's yellow it's called the i,
0: I know exactly what you're talking about and i've wanted to start it, it starts so, with a p right no
1: yes the Pune. Panay. yeah the yeah pune.
0: punch La punch no no that's a different one no, that's look, up
1: in the it's, town it's the it's Panay.
0: Yeah, I, I think they, you're
1: right. But, but they've gotten so snobby there that we used to go there for lunch.
0: They won't let you anymore.
1: It's so gorgeous. It, but you see, it just, and I paint all day. I take my paints with me wherever I go. So if I'm at lunch, I'm painting. You know, I mean, I don't, only for my pleasure, mind you. But I've, I've done 150 of these little ports of call, which I just love doing. This was the greatest place. And we used to go there. And they said, if you don't stay at the hotel, you can't even come for dinner. He said that to Clive Davis. They don't say things <laughs> like that to him. What's so, well, his
0: reaction when? The, I mean, he's not used to though. He's not used to being
1: turned down. No, he he definitely is not used <laughs> to being turned down. I,
2: I feel like San Tropez. What it has is it has charisma. There's something. It, it feels like there's
1: Xanax in the air. And it has history, <laughs> you know. But you know, the interesting part about it is most places you go are don't have. I mean, Monte Carlo's got a great nightlife during the one week in August when they have the Red Cross Gala. But the interesting thing about San Tropez is there's a day life and a night life. You go to Monte Carlo, there's no place to go. The beach club's awful. It's all full of rocks. You can't swim in the water. Not that I ever swam in the water anyway. (laughs) But I'm saying San Tropez, I love going to the beaches. I love going to all the restaurants. We go to have different. We go to a different restaurant every day. We only go to on Sank a couple times when there. Me, I could go there five. I'm a creature of habit. I could go oh. to the same place. Lauren, could, li- like Lauren could live there. Lauren. She's a fixture there. Me too. Yeah. No, I just I like what I like. I feel like you're the same way. Like with
2: Craig's, when I like something, I commit to it and I like it. I don't need to try eight hundred million other things. Right. But
1: see, Clive isn't like that. He likes to try everything. Hmm. He likes to try every restaurant. Last year, I must say, uh, we went every night. We went to a different restaurant. We hardly ever went to the same haunts. We, what's the one in the port? A opera Yeah, a opera So he doesn't. We go. <laughs> we, we go there. Uh, that's
0: we, a wild place. That can turn into a wild that's place. Fun. Yeah. It's really
1: fun. I go there with the, you know, you know. I have I have a lot of a lot of my friends you know that that go there and uh, Pamela Anderson is a very good <laughs> friend of mine. So she was in San Jose and she has this boyfriend who's a play actually played on the French soccer team, the one that won. So I went with them all the time because then I stayed with Ivana, and she didn't want to go there, and she wanted to go someplace else. So I went with Pamela. That what's
0: Ivana up to now?
1: Ivana's the greatest. I just love her. She's now back in New York. She lives in Miami, and she lives in San Tropez. And you know, she's always got some great project going. She's She's
0: living the life.
1: She's living the life. You know, she does exactly what she wants to do whenever she wants to do it.
2: To be honest, I'd love pink marble in my
1: house. If we're getting specific, yeah, this is but this is like pink. Is beautiful. <laughs> she, she, she actually. I mean, there's no two ways about it. I mean, she was. She and Donald were the golden couple. I mean, they were the flawless couple. They were building empires and in Las in Atlantic City. And I was there when they built Mar-a-Lago. They didn't build Mar-a-Lago when they redid Mar-a-Lago, because when they took over Mar-a-Lago, it was in a total state of disarray. And Ivana took every fabric and had it replicated and every piece of furniture that was, I mean, she just totally redid. So she was
0: very involved in the design of a lot of this stuff. Wow.
1: Trump Tower. Yeah. You know, and also all the places in Las Vegas, in Atlantic City, rather.
2: You're an entrepreneur. Tell us all about all your products and where people can find your products. Because I think it's so badass that you have so much energy and you're so, um, you're so, you're so inspiring. Oh, you think so? Yeah.
1: Really? Yeah. What, I, have do. I
2: inspired you today. Yeah, you have inspired me. What did I inspire you to do? I just think you're a hustler. You've inspired I think
0: you... me to go to Saint Tropez with you and Clive Owens.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, Clive, you know, um, uh, I, I try, you know, I'm so many, it's interesting because so many young people follow me on Facebook and on Instagram and they, they come into me and they say, you know, you're so inspirational. We want to be just like you when you grow, when we grow up. I said, yeah, I don't know about that. It maybe sounds better than it is. But, you know, I mean, right now, uh, my two products, I mean, my television shows on Amazon Prime, we're getting ready to put up 20 more shows next week. We have 45 shows up now. How 25. do they find that? How do they find your show? They Just go on go Amazon? Amazon Prime, the Nikki Haskell show. There okay. it is. Bigger than life. Okay. We'll and so I'm putting that. up more shows. I have 300 shows, but it's very complicated and quite expensive to keep putting the shows up. And hopefully I'm going to be doing a new show. We have a pilot called A Flashback to the Future, where I re-interview a lot of the same people that I interviewed in the 80s and new people and covering new events. And, you know, I love giving parties, so you never know, I'll give a couple of parties here and there. <laughs> And then you have your Star Cruncher on Amazon. And my Star Cruncher's on Amazon. I don't know. If, did you see my video with the girl that almost fell off the thing? No, you got to send it to me. You didn't see it? it, I, it we, I was up with Clive Davis's last weekend, <laughs> and we were doing the exercise videos on the thing. And this this friend of Clive's was very agile. She had just finished swimming 90 laps.
2: Oh, Jesus. She
1: said, you know, I'd really like to try the Star Cruncher. So I put the Star Cruncher on it. She was lying down on this table, on this, you know, like a bench. Because you could do your upper body and your lower body at the same time when you're laying down. And she was like all over the place. You know, she was sort of like on the side and she was moving around like no one you'd ever seen. And it actually looked like she was going to fall off this bench because she was like right on the edge. And then she, you know, got up and she touched her toes and did everything. So when I put it up on Instagram, I must have put it up early in the morning on Monday morning. And I had a very important, very boring business meeting. So I got into the Uber. And as I was driving over there, I started reading some of the comments. I had like 900 hits in like a minute, and there Jeez. Was, which I never. I don't really get that many hits. I only have 4,500 people so far on my Instagram page. I mean. But one of the comments was, that old broad looks like she's going to fall off that table. And I got so hysterical. I was laughing so hard. that the, <laughs> I mean, the, I, I don't remember laughing like this. And the tears were like rolling down my face. And I said to the Uber driver, do you have a Kleenex or, or something that I could put on? So I wiped my face off and I sort of pulled myself together. And I walked into this restaurant and this, and this woman looked at me and I burst out in hysterics. And I started laughing. And she said, what's wrong with you? So I said, you're not going to believe this. And I showed it to her. She thought it was funny, but not as funny as I thought it was. <laughs> it was, It's was really wild. I need to watch it. So the, the Star Crunchers on Amazon Prime. The Nikki Haskell show is on Amazon Prime. And uh, hopefully the Star Shooter will be in, in probably in a lot of the different stores, but it will definitely be on Amazon Prime. I'll be using the star shooter star shooter's got your name on it yeah it's, it's great. so
2: chic it's like the
1: perfect selfie
2: situation yep. if you're cooking or doing your makeup everything. it just holds everything up I love it's it it's
1: like you can use it as a makeup mirror because the lights smart. It's a pink, it has a pink and white light a blue and white light white and white and then there's a multicolor lights
2: well I hope you'll come back on the show you're invited you're anytime rid of me. perfect we love it where can everyone find
1: you on instagram if they want to stalk you I'm at big nick bh okay and I'm uh, at Nikki Haskell on on uh, Facebook.
0: That's an iconic Instagram. Oh, name. she's iconic. Big Nick BH.
1: Yeah, Big Nick BH. That's, I love it. That's that's my license plate number. I'm
2: so into nice. it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. Nikki, thank you for coming on the show, no, taking the time. You. Come well, back. I'm going to see time. you soon. i when you isn't the restaurant opening up soon? Uh, the restaurant's opening soon. Shout out to my dad who connected us, Brad. We love you. Brad, we love you. Brad, Thanks, Brad. You're
1: hot. You, you're going to come <laughs> up here and you're going to take us back to the Beverly Hills Hotel, right? Yes, we're counting on. It. We
2: had skinny margaritas at the Beverly Hills Hotel. I could use one right now. Oh, I wish he
1: did, Michael. Where's your margarita? I gotta
0: get. I gotta get. That'll be my next hire in here. I'll get somebody that can just make us margaritas. Michael, and I call. can
1: do it. I can do it. I can uh, Gotta get the ingredients. In I love it. You know, I have my own drink. I have a drink called Nicotini.
0: <laughs> I'm gonna have to. I'm taking you up on a Nicotini. And Taylor, make yourself useful back there and learn how to make some margaritas instead of just producing these podcasts. You know,
1: nicotini's orange vodka, orange flavored vodka with club soda and a slice of orange. It's a Nicotini. Oh, that you know sounds what they pretty say? good. If the bartender knows what you're drinking. You're an alcoholic.
2: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> At Big Nicky B H. Big Nick.
1: Big, Big Nick. Nick.
2: At Big Nick B H. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you, guys. She'll be back.
1: I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs>
2: All right. We want you guys to spread the word. So how you can do that is head over to my latest Instagram at the skinny confidential and tag a friend who needs to be listening. Someone that you think will gain value from the show. And then someone from the team will drop into a bunch of you guys' inboxes and send you a pink sparkly pop socket. And with that, we'll see you next time.